Welcome to the Cornerstone Baptist Church podcast. My name is Justin Wheeler. I am the preaching pastor for Cornerstone, and today we have made it to week 19 of our journey through the Heidelberg Catechism. Today, we're going to be focusing in on three questions, uh, and those three questions will be numbers 50, 51, and 52. And this week, and these three questions are, are wrapping up the section on Jesus Christ. Um, you may remember we are working through what the Apostles' Creed teaches, specifically about God the Father, Christ's Son, and Christ, uh, the Holy Spirit, um, and we're finishing up that middle section on Jesus. Next week, we're going to move on to the section on the Holy Spirit, and I'm really looking forward to that one, but we can't finish up our discussion about Jesus and who He is and all that He's come to do unless we talk about where He is now and when He will return. That's the focus of the last three questions. Um, so let's just get right into that. Question number 50. Why is it added and sits at the right hand of God? You might remember this is talking about Jesus, that Jesus in this moment, at this time, he has ascended into heaven. We looked at that last week. And in his ascending, he sits at the right hand of God. Now, why is that particular phrase important? And Heidelberg answers the question saying, because Christ ascended into heaven for this end that he might there appear as head of his church and that the Father governs all things through him. So let's just back up a little bit. Let's remember that last week we talked about Jesus ascending into heaven because he had completed his, his earthly ministry. We looked at Acts chapter 1. We looked at the end of the Gospels where Jesus literally, he's talking to the disciples. He tells them he's going away. They know that it's coming. And then he ascends while they are watching him. He ascends into heaven physically, bodily, in a cloud. Uh, and when Jesus ascended, he wasn't just going away because he he was you know done with everything. He was actually receiving from God the reward of his completed mission. The ascension of Christ, we talked about this last week, it, it marks the highest point of the Son of God's exaltation. As he ascends into heaven to the right hand of God, he is entering into the glory that he has earned. But Heidelberg is asking the question, why was it important to point out that Jesus now, at this time, in heaven, has sat down at the right hand of God? Well, for starters, that's just the language of the New Testament, right? I mean, we see that in Acts chapter 7, I believe, when, when Stephen has preached this sermon and Stephen is getting stoned. And as he is getting stoned, he looks, he lifts his eyes up to the heaven and he sees Christ. And at that particular time, Christ stands in honor of Stephen, but he's standing at the right hand of God at that time. Also, we, we see this language of Christ sitting at the right hand of God in, in Ephesians and in Hebrews. Um, and, and Well, I'll just read a passage. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3 says this, talking of Jesus, He is the radiance of the glory of God. He is the exact imprint of His nature, and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. That's talking about Jesus as the creator and sustainer. And then it goes on and it says this, After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. 
Now, notice the progression of that passage. He, he it discusses who he is in relation to his, uh, to, in relation to God. It, it discusses what he's done in relation to upholding and creating the universe by his power. Then it says he made purification for sins. That's talking about his earthly mission of atoning for our sins on the cross in his death. And it's not until after he made purification for sins that he sat down at the right hand of God. Now, this, this shows us that Jesus ascending and taking his seat by God the Father in heaven was something like the restful reward for having done what he was sent to do. You can think of it this way. Um, at the end of a long day of work, most of us just want to come home. We cannot wait to get there. We, we want to come home and we want to find our favorite chair. We want to you know, maybe hug our spouse, maybe make sure that we get the mail in. But the, really, the thing that we want to do is we want to sit down and rest. And we want to sit down and rest because our work is complete. We're, we're tired, but we, we want to sit down and rest for the day. Now, for us, our work is not ultimately complete because we got to get up the next day and do it all over again. But you get the point, right? Sitting down carries with it two ideas, the idea of rest and the idea of completion. And that's, that's what's going on. Jesus sat down because he had earned a well-deserved rest. But he also sat down because his work of atonement was finished. All that was necessary for his people to be saved was complete. That's why Jesus on the cross even said, it is finished. He was accomplishing that particular atoning purpose. Okay, so we still haven't answered the question. Why does he say that he sat at God's right hand? Well, you may already know this, maybe not, but the right hand is the place of honor and power. And so for Jesus to sit down at the Father's right hand, he's saying this is, this is God the Father's right hand man. It points to the fact that Jesus is, is now seated in an elevated position because he is receiving the reward, the exalted reward of having accomplished the, the mission that the Father sent him on. He is receiving glory. And there is no name, there is no person, there is no being higher in authority and power than Jesus. In fact, that's what Ephesians chapter 1 tells us. Ephesians 1 verse 20 says this, when he raised him from the dead, meaning when God the Father raised Jesus from the dead and then seated him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, he seated him far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So when Jesus took his rightful place at the right hand of the Father, he was taking his place as the head and ruler of the church, the head and ruler over all creation. Jesus has taken up the position of divine power and authority that is far above any other power or dominion. His name is exalted above every name in the universe. And from his position of exaltation, he rules and reigns over all all. That's what that language means. The language of Jesus sitting at the right hand of God is about his authority and his rule, which let's just be honest, that's good news for believers. That's good news for us who trust in Christ. The one who rules among the stars is also willing to call us brother and sister. That's something that we need to think more about right there. The one who rules over the universe calls us friend. 
He's willing to take off his garment and wash our feet. He's willing to call us brother and sister. Let's think about that a little more. Actually, that's really kind of what question number 51 is getting at. How does this glory of Christ, our head, how does it benefit us? And then the answer is this. First, through his Holy Spirit, he pours out his gifts from heaven upon his members And second, by his power, he defends us and he keeps us safe from all enemies. I mean, let's just think about that for a minute. We know that Jesus has gone away from us and sent the Holy Spirit. We'll talk about that in a second. But we also know that the one who who rules among the stars and calls us brother, he's going to defend us and keep us safe from all of our enemies. And that's just an amazing thought. The one who began a good work in us, according to Philippians 1, will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus, the day of Christ's return. So he is going to continually work in us to defend us and keep us safe until he comes to claim us finally and completely. Okay, so there's more that we need to think about, though. Uh, I want to go back into Ephesians. I've already read from Ephesians 1. I want to go back into Ephesians to look at the first answer to this question about how through his Holy Spirit, Jesus pours out gifts upon the church uh, because that's one of the benefits of Christ ascending into heaven is that he sent his Spirit into the world. And when the Spirit comes into the world, the Spirit empowers Christians for ministry until Jesus returns. And we looked at this last week, so I won't rehash all of it, but we looked at and found out that it's actually a good thing that Christ has gone away from us. Jesus is the one that told us that. He said in John 16, "...it is to your advantage that I go away." For if I don't go away, the helper won't come. But if I do go, I will send him to you. And the helper there is referring to the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. And then if we can skip over, I mentioned I wanted to read again from Ephesians. If we can skip over to Ephesians 4, we will see what it means that the Holy Spirit has been sent to us and how it benefits us. Um, Here's what it says, starting in verse 10, Ephesians 4, verse 10. He who descended, meaning Jesus, who descended into the earth or into uh, the world, he also ascended far above all the heavens, right? Taking his place back at the right hand of God, that he might fill or complete all things. And, And then it goes on and it says this, And he gave, these are the gifts that he gave, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. He gave these gifts to the body of Christ, the universal body of Christ, for a purpose. And the purpose, he states in verse 12, to equip the saints, that is us, that's those who believe, for the work of ministry. He's given the gifts through the Spirit of God to the church for the equipping of the saints for building up the body of Christ until we attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. And not just this knowledge, but we achieve that knowledge, we attain that knowledge to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Okay, so there's a lot to unpack there, but what's the point of this passage? Well, The point of this passage is Christ has gone away from us into heaven, sitting down at the right hand of the Father, but we benefit from this because he has not left us alone. He's given us the Spirit of God. And when the Spirit of God comes, he bears gifts. In fact, every believer in Christ has been gifted in some way or in several ways to serve the Lord, to serve the body, and to serve the world. And so in this way, Christ is actually still working in us. He's still 
protecting us, and he's still growing us so that we can mature to be more like him, so that we can know the truth from the air, so that we're no longer tossed back and forth by every different idea about doctrine that comes our way. And in this way, Jesus, by his Spirit, is keeping us safe from all of our enemies. And there's so much more that can be said about this, but this is these are the two ways that, that uh, we understand Christ's being glorified benefits us because he's given us his spirit to keep us, and he does by that spirit defend and keep us from all enemies. Okay, question number 52. How does Christ's return to judge the living and the dead comfort you? Christ has ascended. Christ has given gifts to men, but he also promised to return for us. Now, how does that, uh, and the fact that in his return, he's going to judge the living and the dead, how does that comfort us? Well, here's the answer. In all my distress and persecution, I turn my eyes to the heavens and confidently await as judge the very one who has already stood trial in my place before God and so has removed the whole curse from me. All his enemies and mine he will condemn to everlasting punishment. But me and all his chosen ones he will take along with him into the joy and glory of heaven. Now, there's a lot there, but I like the fact that he's coming back to this idea of, you know, comfort, right? That's that's one of the ways that the whole catechism began was asking us, what is our only comfort in life and in death? Well, this is one of the comforts that when Christ comes, um, he's going to do some very specific things, and he's already done some very specific things. Okay, so the return of Christ, the second coming is one of the most hoped for, longed for, prayed for events for the Christian. The church throughout all the ages has looked at what Scripture teaches on this and has longed to see the day of Christ's return, the day when the work of redemption will reach its full consummation, and the day when the kingdom of God would be fully and finally established for eternity. But that day is going to involve several numer- several events. It's going to involve first, uh, well, well, Christ return, right? When we look to the scriptures and we are studying this return of Christ, the Greek term that is used is the word parousia, which means appearing. It means that Jesus will appear in the clouds and it will be glorious to behold. Let me read 1 Thessalonians 4.16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Now, he's talking there to a church of believers and he's saying, this is what's going to happen. Jesus is going to come. He's going to appear. And when he appears, he's also going to call us up to be with him. And and we will always be with the Lord. Now, he's talking to believers there. He's talking to Christians. He's saying that we as believers in Christ can have confidence that we will be caught up together with Jesus when he returns because we belong to him, right? He's purchased us from Satan, death, and sin by his blood when he died on the cross. He promised us that he would come again and receive us and that we would be with him forever after that point. And so when he comes in the clouds, he's coming to rescue his people for good. But that's not all. His second coming will also mean judgment for his enemies and for ours. 
The Bible teaches from Old Testament to New Testament that there is a final judgment day coming. And when this judgment day commences, all those who rejected the gospel of Jesus Christ, all those who rejected the purpose and plan of God for their redemption from sin, they will face the wrath of God that they rightly deserve. Now, okay, it's, it's interesting that, that Heidelberg says, how is, does this comfort us? I mean, this is not all that comforting to us. The idea of sinners being judged for their sin, which we would understand to be eternal separation from God, eternal punishment by God. They're going to endure the wrath of God they rightly deserve because of the divine justice of God. The the return of Christ is going to usher in this judgment of God upon all the sin and all the wickedness of unrepentant men, women, and demons, if you look even ahead. But uh, how does this comfort us? Well, think about it this way. There, there is a longing in our hearts for justice. And that longing for justice that we have, that longing for things to be set right, that longing is something that God has placed within us because he is the father of justice, right? And, and what we're going to see on that final day is the true divine justice of God will be served. And it's a comfort to know that one day all the wrongs in the world will be put right, that all of the evil in the world will be accounted for and dealt with. It's also comforting to know that for those of us who have come to see our sin and wickedness for what it truly is, for those of us who have come to, we fled from our sin and we fled to Jesus for forgiveness and eternal life, it's comforting to know that we will not face God's wrath. And that means that any sinner today who sees their sin and their need of Christ and clings to Christ and calls upon the name of the Lord, they can be saved. And and, and the reason they can be saved, the reason they will not face the judgment of God on that day is because on the cross, Jesus has already received the penalty that we deserved. I mean, that's what the, the catechism reminds us, that he stood trial in our place so that we could go free. And with him be taken into the joy and glory of heaven. That's something that we should celebrate. That's something that should give us great comfort. All right, so thanks so much for joining me again today to discuss the Heidelberg Catechism. I hope this has been helpful, beneficial, and encouraging to you. And I also hope that you'll join me again next week when we look at Lord's Day 20 together and we discuss one question, question 53. Now, if you want to learn more about Cornerstone Baptist Church, you can find us online at cornerstonewiley.org. You can follow us uh, on Twitter or Instagram at CBC Wiley. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash cornerstone Wiley. You can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Google Play to stay up to date on all the new content. Thank you so much for listening.